You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for being in Bible study tonight. Everyone in person, everyone watching or listening online, we're doing a series on You Become What You Eat, and uh, we've been going through the series over the last number of months, and uh, some sporadic uh, lessons in there, along with many other things that are taking place in our schedule, but uh, we're doing another lesson tonight, and we're going to Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we've got a couple lessons left. In this series, you become what you eat. Amen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we've been kind of doing some expository teaching through. And so we'll just uh, start with verse 1 and and pick up there. Uh, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Uh, Speaking in this scripture of followers of God, of course, the basic idea of Christianity is that you and I, would imitate Christ. Our goal is to imitate Him, to be like Him, uh, do outwardly to others what He has already done inwardly to us. And so we're to be an outward expression of what God has done inside of our lives and to our lives. And so our goal as followers of Christ is to imitate Christ. I want to be like him. Do you want to be like him? Amen. And so that's that's the goal of us as followers of God, being dear children of the Lord. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Um. The Scripture's telling us to walk in love as Christ has also loved us. Uh, to imitate Him, we all obviously have to do what He's done. And um, a lot of times we put a lot of our shortcomings on, maybe on God, things that haven't happened in our life, things that we think should be farther along, things that we think God should have taken care of already. Uh, We actually need to take a step back and say, you know, it's actually our flesh that we have to sacrifice on the altar on a daily basis, just as Jesus did. And so if I'm going to imitate him, Paul said, I've got to die daily. That's not a physical death. That's a spiritual death of myself. I've got to put myself on the altar Every day, if I'm going to walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, he sacrificed his life for you and I. And so the imitation of that is, God, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. And here I am. I'm going to submit my life to you today. I'm going to submit my life to you on a daily basis. That has to be done by each of us individually. No one else can do that for you. If you're going to walk with the Lord, you have to pull yourself up onto the altar 
every day and say, God, I want you to have control of my life. I want to submit my will. I want to submit my goals. I want to submit my agenda. I want to submit my, my mind. I want to submit my spirit. God, I'm pulling myself up on the altar today, and I'm giving myself to you. That is a product of you and I imitating Christ. And then he goes through a list of things that we need to make sure is not part of our, our lives. Verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. And basically, he's just making a very broad, we could spend a length of time, but I can categorize it into all kinds, all types of sexual sin. That, that cannot be part of our life if we're going to imitate Christ. And um, no matter what uh, aspect that is, Paul's saying, listen, you got to get rid of all that. That can't be part of your daily life, all kinds of sexual sin. That will actually interfere in your imitating of what Christ is doing in your life. Um, he continues, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Kind of puts it into really two categories. Um, I, the best way for me to simplify it is, is uh, not to talk dirty. Double meaning. Uh, there's a lot of stuff today. Uh, and, and I think they sometimes do it so younger children may not be able to figure it out. But there's a lot of double-meaning stuff. And Paul says, listen, don't, don't put that into your mind. Keep the dirty talk away. And then he adds foolish talking. That's just uh, simply being silly. Listen, there's no, nothing wrong with being fun, but there's also... Uh, getting caught up in just, I mean, plain old silly, stupid talking. It's an absolute waste of time. And uh, every word, actually, that we speak, we are going to give an account for. We are. Sometimes I think people forget that, that everything that you and I say is in record. So Paul says, listen, Put away the filthiness, foolish talking. Don't let that, if you're going to imitate Christ, get that out of your daily life. It, there's nothing beneficial to that. Okay. For this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The key uh, that you see in this verse is the word idolater. And basically the word idolater is putting anything else before God in my life no matter what it is. So it can be different for every person. What affects you may not affect me. What affects me may not affect you. 
But if it becomes, if it comes between me and the Lord, then that becomes an idol in my life. No matter what it is. Can be my job, can be my sports, can be my family, can be all kinds of things. If it be, doesn't mean that it's a bad thing, but it can't come between me and God. Man, it's awful quiet. What's happening is the world is full of things to please you. That's what it's all about. Just do what pleases you. Well, that's actually the opposite of Scripture. Do what pleases God, and you'll be on the right track. Um, anything that becomes a distraction between my walk with God and God can be idolatry. And so immediately we think of idols in the corner and, and images and and carving, that's, that's not all it's talking about. Anything in my life that is trying to take the place of my walk with God. Let no man, he said, deceive you with vain words. For, uh, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul kind of puts this little passage together. He says, listen, what ye used to be shouldn't be what's controlling you now. He brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. When God filled you with his spirit, you became children of light. You became native to the light. You became a representation of him who is light. Again, this is all about me imitating the person I'm following. I want to be like you, Jesus, so I don't want darkness to be what is ruling my life. I want to uh, become what I'm eating. Can't, you, you can't participate in these things that Paul's talking about throughout the week and feel like you're in the place where you need to be on Sunday to get what God wants for you. Anointing, for example, doesn't happen all of a sudden on Sunday morning. Anointing happens throughout the week. It's us preparing. God, cleanse those things out of my life so that I can imitate you, not only on certain times, but all times. He said, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of that darkness, but rather... Reprove them. Again, he puts a little phrase together. He says, listen, I want to warn you. You've got to prove what is acceptable. Take yourself away from. And he uses this word, reprove, expose, rebuke, discipline, convict, correct, expel. 
There can be no compromise with the unfruitful works of darkness and still be living in light. They don't, they don't coexist. The unfruitful works of darkness will mess up your life. It'll get you on the wrong track. It'll make, it'll make it difficult for you to make the proper decisions. Your mind will be distracted on a daily basis by things that it shouldn't be. You got to haul yourself out of the unfruitful works of darkness and say, God, I want you to reprove those things in my life. Expose those things in my life, God, where I can have discipline and let conviction happen. And, and God, where you can correct me. Shine your light on me and purge those things from me. Paul's saying, uh, you've, got to, you've got to reprove. You can't have any fellowship. You become what you eat. Verse 12, for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Uh, when you speak of something, you actually magnify it. You intensify it. That's why uh, the generation that we're living in today is worse than than any previous generation because they have put immorality in such a public forum. More than any generation ever before, when you speak of something, it reproduces. And so what is happening in our world today, if you look at some of the focuses of society to what the real issues of the world should be, it's almost, it's, it's quite pathetic, actually. And so all of a sudden, there's a highlight on the, the splinter when there's a beam in the eye. <laughs> and uh, Paul says, listen, when you speak, you actually, you're intensifying, you're magnifying. Well, if that happens for the negative in this world, it also happens for the believer in the church. God, we're going to speak deliverance. We're going to speak power. We're going to speak forgiveness. We're going to speak uh, the good news. We're going to speak, God, you're working. Uh, we're going to speak good things. And let that be where you imitate God. That's what comes out of a believer's mouth. That I'm going to speak the positive. I'm going to speak things into Existence. I believe that the power of the Holy Ghost, you heard it on Sunday, you have the ability to speak what God desires to happen. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. So for uh, whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Um, Paul's just putting a little extra emphasis here that, uh, listen, don't think that something will always continue to be hid. The light will manifest what is of the enemy and of this world. It may go on for a period of time. There may be things that happen in our lives for a period of time. But God will use light to manifest things that need to be corrected. Wherefore, he saith, awake Thou that sleepest, 
and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Take notice that that's what's going to happen. If you're a Christian, don't let the world lull you to sleep. Don't become dull in your senses spiritually. Awaken out of what the world thinks is important and say, God, I want to imitate you. I want to become what I eat. I want to imitate you. Get the things out of my life that are not of you. Things that would try to attach themselves in this world. Get that self stuff out of my life. See then, he said, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly just simply means carefully, with purpose. Walking worthily, accurately. Not being a phony. God, help me to walk as an imitation of you. Let my life not be what it may appear. Let my life be an actual representation of you. And that's what Paul is saying. Walking carefully, with purpose, accurately. Walking worthily. And, and, he's, and he says why? Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Uh, the word time here is karyos. It means special moments of God's visitation. It's not chronos. Chronos is where time is measured by the clock. It's not talking about what hour it is on the actual clock. It's talking about the time of God's visitation. Why do I need to be an actual a true imitation of him because the time of the days of evil are here and I need to be a representation of, of what God is doing in my life. The visitation of God should be able to be seen in my life. How could it be that I could go about my day and no one actually know that I would be a Christian? I'm missing something, if that's the case. Because I'm a representation, supposedly, of him. So God, uh, take, take me back a bit and make sure that everything's out of my life that shouldn't be there, that would be contrary to your word concerning you. And let me speak, magnify you through my life, God, accurately, carefully, purposely, um, those special moments of God's visitation in my life. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It, it's, it's not a real big secret what God's desire is for your life. We, we make the will of God so complicated. I mean, Paul's got it right here pretty simple. The will of God is for you to be an imitation of him. That's wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whoever you're with. It has no, none of those things have any bearing. The bearing is what God has done for you and I, and we are to be an imitation of him. Uh, we, we pick up and say, God, uh, what's your will for my life today? 
God's will for my life today is to be an imitation of him. Because wherever I go and whatever I say and whatever I do, if it's an imitation of him, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting, you see a parallel here with being drunk. And then um, he uses the opposite, said, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, the idea behind what is being uh, spoken through Paul, because it kind of looks like it's in the middle of nowhere, this verse. And he's talking basically in the sense of, don't allow the Holy Ghost in your life to represent something that it's not. Give me an example. On the day of Pentecost, when they come out of the upper room, what did they compare them to? People who were drunk. Peter said, no, 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 no. Wait a second. That's, that's not what's happened here. These are not drunk as ye suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Right from the outpouring of the Spirit. It's kind of like what God's imitating through your life. Don't let it be that I call myself a Christian, supposed to be full of the Holy Ghost, and be a bad representation of that. How can I call myself apostolic, full of God's Spirit, and then desire to act like an idiot? It's not a good imitation of what God has for my life. But because I'm full of his spirit, it gives me power. The Holy Ghost gives you power to be witnesses. Do you understand that that Acts 1 and 8, it, it doesn't give a, a decision whether you will be a witness or not. You will be a witness. Either way. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses. And I just don't want to be the wrong type of witness. I want the Holy Ghost to be working in my life that I'm imitating him. Okay. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks Always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, speaking, speaking and singing to yourself. Um, not just to others. Because if that was the case, some people wouldn't feel like they qualify to sing. Oh, no, I could never do that. You don't have, no one would want to hear what I sound like. No, no. Well, that, what's wonderful is that's not what the verse says. The verse doesn't say that you have to sing to everybody else. The verse says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Not just so others can listen. But this relationship of 
uh, that you have with God, you're imitating him. Listen, some of the times... Okay, I'm just going to put myself out there. If I worried about people, I actually wouldn't get behind this pulpit. Okay? So we were scraping the bottom of the barrel Sunday night, and I was playing. And if anyone was here, we're singing a song in the altar. First of all, I don't think I ever played it before. But I had it come to my heart, so okay, let's sing it. And then for some reason, I thought that I knew the tune to the verse. That was the saddest, most horrific racket that you ever heard in your life. Now, listen. You have to admit, if you heard it, you, if you know the song at all, you just know the pastor has no idea what he's doing right now. And so there's two things that can happen. You can sing for others, <laughs> or you can sing for yourself. I guess it wasn't for others. <laughs> the Bible is very clear. Don't make it be about This is an imitation of God. Some of your greatest moments will be you by yourself singing a song at the top of your lungs where no one else can hear you, driving along, people wondering what's happening to you. You ever sing a song you only know about one line or three or four words? You just keep repeating that line over and over? Something's happening in your spirit. You just kind of, you let yourself be encouraged in the Lord. You make up a song. I, that's what I should have did Sunday night. I should have just kept on singing the verse. I have no idea what I'm singing. Don't know the tune of this song. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is, this is a powerful part of what Paul's saying. This verse is powerful. God has chosen submission as the principle of the kingdom that sets the tone for all relationships. Submission is when you give up your will for His. Your mission, God, not mine. See, there's no submission when you or I already agree. That's not submission. Submission is when we don't agree. And we say, you know what? I'm going to imitate Christ. Just think about, just think about what happened at Calvary. And they're putting Jesus on the, on the stand and asking him questions. And he doesn't even say a word. The very people that he created were getting ready to crucify him. And he submitted to that. Our lives in following the Lord, sometimes things happen that we may not always agree. But God, because I'm following you and I'm imitating you, I'm going to submit to what's happening 
right now in my life, even if I don't agree. That's a powerful verse. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And now the last part of the chapter. Um, I'm going to read, I, I want to read uh, verse um, 32 first. This is kind of the, almost the very end of the chapter. It says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Sometimes you have to go down a little bit in the chapter to actually see what the writer is talking about. And so he gives a, quite a description of a husband and wife, but then he actually says what this is. This is a great mystery. It's speaking of Christ in the church. Uh, wives, he said, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. If you actually look at verse 32, marriage is really not the issue here. It's the mystery uh, of the, the representation of Christ in the church. God wants you and I to make marriage a sacrifice unto him so that people who do not see that mystery can actually see it through your marriage. Unbelievers don't understand the mystery. I'll give you an example. If you walk up to someone who doesn't know or knows very little about the Bible and says, you are the bride of Christ, they'll wonder if you're okay. I'm in the bride of Christ. Christ is my head. People will wonder if you're on something. So what he's talking about here is actually the mystery that is known to the believer is to be represented to people who don't know through the marriage of believers. Both the man and the woman are deeply challenged to play their part in this mystery of, of the church. Wives, he said, submit like the church. Husbands, love like Christ. Those are, those are strong, strong commitments. God says in the process you are struggling to play your role, you can appreciate even more what he's done for you and I on how he has loved the church. So all you have to do is look at through the beginning of the Old Testament through to the New Testament, how many times they followed God and then they did evil. And then they called upon the Lord and they did evil. And they, it's continual. But yet he never gives up on his people. And so the idea behind what he's saying is let this be a representation through 
our marriage of how powerful God is with the church. Again, this is an imitation. I am being an imitation of him. The whole idea behind it. The only way a marriage can survive for years is for the man to crucify the flesh and for the wife to make her flesh submit. It has to be from both sides. It has to be. I've got to crucify my flesh. If not, that will be troublesome in my marriage. And so Paul gives this back and forth. And the idea behind that principle is how much love Christ has for the church. And if I'm to imitate him, then let that be shown through my natural marriage. How powerful my spiritual relationship with God is. What is that saying? Well, if I have trouble at home... I've got trouble with God. How do I get that fixed? Well, God, I want to make sure I got everything right with you. you say, well, that's, that's tough, Pastor. That, well, it's to be a representation. I need to do everything I can. That I am a representation of him. Can't determine for the other person, but I can determine for me. This is what he says. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Christ loves something that he had to keep working on. But he didn't leave it just because of the mistakes with it. He said, I'm not going to give up. On my people. Aren't you thankful tonight that he's not given up on you? Aren't you thankful that he doesn't, after so many times, cast you to the side and say, ah, too bad. No hope there. No, it's the opposite. His love for the church is, listen, you fail? Let's get back up and start again. Become an imitation of what the church is. doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want. It's, it's an actual, God, I want to be like you. I want to be like you, God. That he might present it to himself. A glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men, he said, to love their Wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Um, the degree that I actually care about my wife is actually the degree that I care about myself. You can't, you can't separate. He, he made this union. Can't say I love God. And not want to be part of the church. It's, it's, it's impossible. Can't say I'm glad to be married and not love my wife. <laughs> they, they don't go together. The imitation of the mystery is how powerful 
that church is. That, that church that has been purchased with his own blood. That's a powerful demonstration of what you and I are to imitate. Okay, we're, we're coming to a close. For no man ever hath hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. The idea behind nourisheth is to feed and cherisheth is to esteem. So the most intimate relationships that we have on earth is what God wants us to use to portray our relationship with the church. God wants us to use our house to preach to our community the mystery of the church. So, I don't want to be a hindrance to the work of what God's doing. So, God, help me to get my home right. Help me to get my life right so I'm a proper representation of what you want me to be in my community. I'm just giving word tonight. And this is what he says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Um, actually, how I represent the church is not uh, seen here. How I'm a representation of the church is not seen here. How I am a representation of the church is what is seen at home. God help me to be the person I'm supposed to be at home so that I'm a representation to the people that I am around. Okay, this last section, just one verse, says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular... So love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. The husband loves and the wife respects. That's part of how God kind of put us together. Those commands are quite different, but are totally both necessary. I truly believe that if I love my wife the way God has loved the church, there'll be no issues with her respecting me. If I try to shortcut that love for my wife, shortcut what Christ has done for the church, then that causes, that causes issues with her respect for I. And it goes the opposite way as well. But God has given us the commands, and you see that. See, when, when Satan tempted Eve, he was trying to get to Adam. Satan doesn't care about attacking God. He already tried that and failed. Okay, so he's, he's, he doesn't do that. What he does is he attacks the church. He attacks the people in the church. He attacks the home. Listen, know where the attacks are coming from. The enemy does not like your home. And so his, his way of getting to the church is he attacks the home. And if he can destroy the unity that is in the home, then he destroys that imitation 
that you're trying to be of God. When a man and woman connect, they produce fruit, just like God and his church. That's why the serpent attacked the union in Eden. The church is both the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. You see those phrases used throughout Scripture. Eve was both the bride of Adam and she was the body of Adam. She was flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. It's a representation of how the union is between Christ and the church. And so the fall of humanity didn't take place when Eve was deceived and ate. That's not when the fall happened. The fall took place when, when Adam deliberately ate what Eve was deceived with. Adam made a decision. He didn't have to. Adam could have said, we've been told not to do that. We've been told to stay away from that tree. We've been told, no, 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 I have no part of that. But Adam decided, and it was his decision that caused the fall of humanity. The sins we commit that are born of deception do not strike at the very nature of our relationship with God. It's the sins that are readily confessed, repented, and cast aside. That's not the issue. It's the sins that we commit out of our will. Our decisions. Listen, we want to get our life right and all the other, but I don't know if, it, if it's just me, but we make mistakes in all kinds of areas. But when we walk into areas that we know we are doing wrong, it does something to our imitation of God. And as a conscious decision, there's a plan of action, and destruction starts to happen. Deadly consequences start to take place in my relationship with God. It is affected. When Adam and Eve both entered into the state of death, everything under their domain came under death. That's what a kingdom is. A domain over which you have dominion is what you rule and govern. And when the king falls, the kingdom falls. And so what happens is the enemy wants to attack your home so that if he can get your home messed up, he'll destroy your whole family. That's what he does. He'll affect your whole relationship. Your kids will lose respect. Because they watch what shouldn't be done by parents. That's how the enemy works. You become what you eat. You have to step back and say, God, I want to be an actual proper imitation of you. When Eve took the forbidden fruit, Adam knew she was going to die. He knew. He was already told that. He loved her so much that he's willing to die with her. That's the sad part. See, the first Adam's mistake was that he loved the gift more than the giver. In God's eyes, there were only two men that were ever created. The 
first Adam and the second Adam. And everything else was born out of one of them. God brought forth a bride out of the first Adam. And God brought forth both a bride out of the second Adam. You see it? It's a type. Listen, I'm, I'm going to take out of the side of Adam and create Eve. Jesus dies on the cross. They put the spear inside and out comes blood and water. It's a representation out of his side. The first Adam said, since my wife is going to die, I'll die with her. But the second Adam said, since my wife is already dead, I'll die for her. I'm thankful tonight for what God has done. But we, we, we must not lose sight of becoming an imitation of him. Because this, you become what you eat, is so true. It is so true. My Christianity is proven by what I intake. Not how long I've been in church and how many times I preach and how loud I say. None of those things prove Christianity. It's my imitation of Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit flowing through my life that becomes an imitation of who I am in God. Not how many positions I have and how many talents someone has and how long you've been in church. None of those things determine whether you or I are Christian. None. Well, I was born to this person out of this family. And, no, none. That doesn't determine whether I'm a Christian. What determines whether I'm a Christian is whether I'm Im imitating Christ today. Today. Not 10 years ago, 50 years ago. God, am I walking circumspectly today? And if not, then help me get on track, God. Help me to get on track. Let it be way past my preferences, way past. I'm going to just submit God to everything you want to do in my life because I want to be an imitation of you. You will become what you eat. Everyone all right? Good. Let's stand. Just giving some down-to-earth teaching. Not talking to you anything different than God has not already talked to me. The word's good for all of us. It's necessary for all of us. Same word that I speak to you is the same word God deals with my life with. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.